Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I am your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I am here today with one of the founding partners of one of the largest estate agencies in Swansea and the surrounding area, the wonderful Chris Hope of Dawson's. So welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Nice to have you, Chris. Thank you. Excellent. So, you know, how I like to start these podcasts is hearing a bit about your journey, if that's all right. So do you want to kick off and just tell us where life started for you, how you've ended up where you are now, and then we're going to dive in from there. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, it, it was an interesting sort of journey in that sense. Um, my parents, um, when I was five, we moved to Australia. And that's probably, it may seem strange me starting off with that in that sense. But my father was always the, the, the one that wanted to explore and everything else. So my father took my mother and I out to Australia. We came back five years later, having had my sister born out there. Um, and we came back. Um, my father, as it happened when he was a young boy, he went to sea at the age of 14, 15. Um, so when I finished my schooling um, in, in Swansea. I was lucky to go to a Gowden Grammar School, um, which is a rugby school only, um, but football was my passion at the time. Um, and um, I was fortunate to be picked by Leeds United Scouts, and I spent three years up at Ellen Road um, trying to make my, my, my way in the world. Wow. Um, that didn't go quite to plan as I'd liked it to have done, if I'm really honest, otherwise <laughs> I wouldn't be sitting here. Um, but um, yeah, so at the age of sort of 14, I was back and forth to, to Leeds to sort of uh, do my training and everything else. So I've always been used to sort of being away in that sense and, and trying something new. Um, and and I, I, I sort of came to the three years, I had a great, great time. It was back in the sort of mid-late 70s when Leeds were very well-known club at the time. Mm. Um, met some great people. Um, and I think that's probably, even though I didn't know it at the time, part of getting to be interactive with people and, and meet new people in different work, walks of life and so on. Um, so it was a great, great sort of uh, boyhood dream to do something, even though it didn't end up as, mm. as I'd have liked it to have done. If I'm honest, I wouldn't turn the clock back and try to make it work if I'm really honest, because I would hate to jeopardize sort of what I've done and where I am at the moment. Mm. Um, so I came home from, from Leeds um, full of tears at the time, because it didn't make the grade. Um, the one thing that I was good at the, at the time was maths. I took pure and applied maths um, as an A-level course when I was up in Leeds. Um, and at the time, I only knew of accountants that would, would do maths. So came back home thinking, what am I going to do? My mother said to me at the time, why don't you use your, your, your maths as as, as Becoming accountancy, so I was looking at um, chartered accountants' role to try to get some work. I was coming back from Leeds um, at the age of sort of seventeen, eighteen, uh, having spent three years or four years there as, as a young lad, and um, um, I made a big mistake because I, I applied for a job which was chartered surveyor. So I'm thinking chartered accountants, probably all the same thing. <laughs> So um, I turned up at this interview, first of all, um, with what was one of my recent partners, Mike Dawson. And um, I turned up, and at the time, coming from Leeds, where you did have the benefits of lots of nice trappings and so on. So I turned up, it was in the middle of summer, don't forget. I had this huge sheepskin coat on, a fantastic three-piece suit, probably far better dressed than, than, than my, what was my, going to be my employer. And he was talking about property, this and... Um, detail sheets and photographs and viewings. So I said, uh, can I stop you a second? What's this got to do with property? And I can remember him now vividly saying, absolutely nothing. And I was so embarrassed. I said, oh God, I've got all dressed up and so on. And I said, I'm clearly in the wrong place. He said, well, um, as it happens, I quite like what you've said and, and, and everything else. Um, our job is only a, within reason a part-time job for a little while. And an uncle of mine who had said, come and join me in the following January, um, so I said, I only need a job for six months. Um, so I said, if you're happy, then I'll take it. So I was expecting that to be there for six months only. And the following January, I was going to start as an accountant. Mm. The following January came and my uncle said, who had an accountant in town, we're not taking any articles on this year. 
Um, that was another tearful moment for me, thinking I couldn't make it as a footballer, uh, or I didn't make it as a footballer, and I now can't be an accountant. Um, fortunately, the company uh, who I was working for then, called David Henry Malcolm Jones, um, said that job now is available for a time if you want it, it's yours. Um, that was at the bottom rung, mind. My, my mm. job to start off with was to go and get, at 11 o'clock, three Western mails, two coffees, and, and a couple of bacon rolls. Um, that was my job for the, for the short term. Um, and so that's how it started. So we were Henry Jones and Hobbs, 19, up until 1981. Um, we merged with another, another company called Rook and Hobbs to be called Henry Jones and Hobbs. And then Henry Jones and Hobbs um, sold out to Abbey National in 1996. Um, and I then became, um, I wasn't a partner at that stage. Um, I then became just a director for Abbey National. Got to understand all the corporate ways. I think I spent more time in Baker Street, which is their head office, than I did mm. doing my job. And that's the part I find I was liking the new understanding, but losing grip with what I was enjoying doing, which is selling properties and, mm. and helping people. So when the original partners of, of the company that sold out said, look, Chris, we don't like the way that the corporates are running our business, albeit it wasn't now our business to run, we're going to start again. I said, all up for that. So that's how Dawson's became 1991. Um, and we effectively started back up at the same time as a lot of the big corporates were buying agents left, right and center, but maybe didn't didn't buy the right expertise or they didn't use the expertise, in my opinion, mm. for the right reasons. So um, um, that's how Dawson started. And that was then some 30 years um, ago. Um, it's, as I said, roughly 45 years that I've been in the business, but Dawson's are 30 years this year. Um, and um, we've started off from being one office, about six people, to now having sort of 14, 15 offices, about 130 people, which isn't huge in property, sorry, in business um, numbers, but I think for an independent company, um, which we look after ourselves in that sense, um, we're very proud of what we've done and achieved over the last number of years. Yeah, and, and I mean, your reputation here in, in Swansea and the surrounding area as an independent, market leading, I know you've been very humble, um, but market leading and with reputation, a brand and a heritage that goes way back with those core principles and values mm. strikes me that that's really been something that's differentiated you from those, you know, the larger players maybe. Would you say I, that's true? Yeah, without doubt. And it's something that we try to work hard on. I think the markets change and every now and again, something new would come to the market, whether, mm. whether new companies and so on, and they will have their opening share of people's eyeballs and attention. Um, it's a case of whether they continue to provide a good service on top of whatever somebody else can do. Mm. So we've, we've had to work hard and not risk the chance of thinking, once you get to within reason the top, then that's it, you can't fall backwards, but you can very, very easily. So mm. it's important to maintain a balance of letting people know that you're still there and do a good job um, in a fine way which isn't saying, look at us. Um, it's important of what we do for you is more important than, than how good we are. Mm. Um, hopefully you'll tell other people about what we've done well. Sort of yeah, thing. yeah. And just thinking back to sort of your childhood and you were saying that you were into Australia, you know, your parents seemed quite adventurous because mm. uh, back then that would have been a, a massive deal at the yes. time, wouldn't it? People didn't travel overseas, no. really. So that in itself was a, sort of a very adventurous start to your early life. Mm. Um, and then, as you said, you know, the football experience you had and that attitude to try new stuff and to get into business. Mm. Do you think that was influenced by your parents, by your early years, or is that something that you kind of acquired as you, as you matured, do you think, over time? Yeah, I think my dad was a, um, a young, he, even though he never saw it properly, a young Indiana Jones. He, he would just sort of take an idea and, and say, come on, um, Yvonne, my mum, let's go to Australia. And that was a huge sort of decision to make. Yeah. Um, but he felt that there were opportunities over there, um, which they didn't have in Swansea at the time from his point of view. So... Um, I think there's no question that he, he is the, probably the person that started it, but I've got to give most of the credit to two of the partners in particular that they've all been very good at me, don't get me wrong, there's been a number of people, um, but two in particular, Yang Carroll and, and Malcolm Jones, who probably I've modeled myself around them in the property world, mm. um, rather than probably model myself around a guy called Tony Curry, who's a footballer in my football world. Um, um, so yeah, I think there's a very fine balance from my point of view to have 
the right ambition yeah. um, without lo- looking too far in, a, in advance and not realizing that you've got to make steps one at a time to get there. You can't just um, be Superman and, and have these big bounded leaps. It doesn't always work out like that, truthfully. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And actually, you make a really important point, Chris, about having the people you surround yourself with and having role models and mentors and people that can kind of show you the way. Because often I, you hear people say, oh, you know, learn from, learn from your own mistakes. Well, okay, yeah, to a degree. Yeah. But much better to learn from yeah. someone else's yeah. mistakes so you don't make them in the first yeah. place. <laughs> I'm very fortunate. I've now got two other partners. And I think that our business was set up with, for, for the vast majority, three partners. Um, it was by accident rather than design to start off with where there were three partners and they were all 10 years older than each other, okay. which may not have had any rationale behind it at the time. But all of a sudden now, I and mean, in over the last 20, 30 years, when somebody leaves, when a partner retires and we bring in a junior partner, mm. um, that junior partner's got 10 years to understand the business. Whereas if you've got two partners leaving at the same time yeah. and you then bring in somebody else, the, the remaining partners are disadvantaged in my opinion by not having a successful they know people properly mm. my part i got two great partners at the moment um uh, tim costum and james dawson um tim was, was a junior partner to me when after i joined uh, and james after and james is the the commercial um sort of brains in the company oh uh, he Certainly is a, um, uh, we call him Professor Snake because he's the master of the dark arts. I don't know the first thing about the commercial world. <laughs> I rely on him 100%. Um, and so we allow him, whatever he says, well, it must be right because James has said it. So we let him deal with that part of the business. Tim and I, it's a probably a bit like my mum and my dad in one sense. Tim and I are complete opposites. Um, I'm a foot on the accelerator. Tim's a foot on the brake. Mm. If the business was left to me, I probably would have smashed it against that wall far too soon. If the business would left the Tim, we'd probably ne- get, never get off the starting line. So yeah. there's this balance, which has been a very good three partner, as there's been over the years when I was a junior partner. I think there was a, always a good blend of different people, different disciplines. Um, and that's what I feel has been our success, if I'm honest, mm. where all right, we may not be all individual entrepreneurs, but collectively... We've had a common goal to, to to get to the right place. Yeah, and I think that's a really well. One is something quite magical about about threes, tripartite. Well, brave, bold, brilliant. You know, yeah. three words. Oh, and, there and, you go. <laughs> and I didn't even think of that. I well, well, you are. They're doing nicely. Um, but no, I think it's a very smart thing to do because very often I think entrepreneurs. Uh, the curse of it is that you think you can do everything yourself mm. and you don't want to let go. And, mm. you know, sometimes I know you say you're not, you don't describe yourself necessarily just as an entrepreneur, but clearly you are entrepreneurial. But the smart thing you've done is recognize where your skills are and what you enjoy doing yeah. and then actually fully trusting the other two partners yeah. in their specialist areas. So the combination three plus three equals four yeah. as opposed to yeah. two. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. Uh, in one sense, um, I'm the world's worst Sudoku or, or crossword player because I get three quarters of the way through and I can see how the end finishes. Yeah. So I've never finished a game properly. So I could never have run a business, in my opinion, I wouldn't run the business well because my business partners will see it through to the end. Whereas I like to get ideas off the ground. So I, mm. I understand what you're saying about the entrepreneur part. And I yeah. think for any partnership business or limited company business, you need different skills, different attitudes of people to um, get it off the ground and but see it past the, the finishing line. Otherwise, mm. everything will fall short in that sense otherwise. Yeah. And, and do you think that's been the magic to creating the growth then? Because as you say, you started with one estate agency business mm. and now, I mean, you know, you, you dominate in the independent space down here. Yeah, I think it's, um, it is. And also having other contacts and have a, other ideas um, from contacts that you make um, different parts of the country. Mm. Um, it starts off locally. You get friends that you work with. Um, but probably one of the best things that I was taught as, as some advice in that sense, when we sold it to Abbey National, um, within inside three months, I was taken with about six or seven other people across the country to a meeting, and they brought this American guy over, uh, Abbey National, who were very good at spending money in those days. And they um, brought a guy in to say, uh, I'm here for three days to tell you all about sort of how to run a business. Um, but I can tell you now, my best bit of advice, I believe, is what I'm going to tell you next. Um, um, the rest is just me spending my money for the next couple of days because I'm told I need to tell you. So we're all intrigued about that. But it was truthfully from a point of view of working, you can work with other companies um, and it's, it's a degree of win-win. 
Mm. I know people in business want to become the best they can be, but if you spend too much time fighting against another company, mm. somebody else can come in and pick some business off. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's easier to work with another company who don't compete completely in your in your field, mm. and then you work off each other. So um, that was probably one of the best things I'd learned at the time, where leave something for the for the next man. Mm. Um, otherwise, you just spend too much time trying to hide things away. You don't realize what else you're missing. So uh, yeah, and you might win on one deal, but actually, you you ruin the long term. Yeah. Exactly, um, and and I think that's very smart advice, yeah. actually, isn't it? And talk about your network then, because I know you are incredibly well networked, not just down here, clearly, but actually, you know, across across the UK as mm. well. How important has that been? And what advice would you give to someone who's maybe starting out in the property world, in the estate agency world, in particular, how to kind of go about building a network? You know, where do you start? Yeah, it's a really good question. <laughs> um, I was lucky because. Um, I'm probably the talky one of the company and I probably spend more time at, at times with lunches and uh, and so on because of, of the uh, getting to know people and so on. It's mm. a partly a case of an ideas finding exercise. But I think that what starts off to be close, you might as well know who your competitors are. You might as well get to understand them properly. There's no reason why you can't be friends with them. Yeah. Right? From, there's a business level where you where you compete, but you can still admire and be friends with other companies in, in, your, mm. in your field. And that just, fortunately, when the Abbey National part, I didn't know much outside of Swansea, truthfully, when I was in my younger, early 20s. Um, but once the Abbey National part sort of brought us together, I realized that there were very good companies in Cardiff or Bristol or Newport or Cambridge or Leeds or mm. other places. Um, and when there was the opportunity to meet up with these guys and find out that we all had similar issues and similar successes, um, but you can go away and just get that one golden bit of nugget of how somebody else has done something mm. or usually how they've wrapped up an old idea into a new idea. Um, they haven't reinvented the wheel, but oh, that'll work. And then you come straight back and, uh, and you all happily accept the fact that you'll pilfer somebody else's ideas and um, um, within reason call it back your own or brand it back as your own. Yeah. Um, so I think that having a network... Uh, whether it's just in your area or as far as you do, it's probably just thinking, I'm going to ring somebody in Scotland. There might as well be some synergy. And I think that mm. you, you grow that, that network, mm. um, uh, keeping in touch with people. Some people in business, some are more successful than others. But um, you can learn a lot by just sitting on the table, having no agenda, um, and something will crop up thinking, ah, it's a great idea. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And you'd be surprised how many times the other person, I was always concerned that, well, why would they want to listen to me? But quite often, something small that we do is something that they haven't thought of, or we do it in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I always, I always um, say to you know, advise people when you're networking, don't think of it in in this sort of stiff almost um, what can I get out of this? Mm. It's very much about building a relationship, isn't yeah. it? And and always thinking how can I help the other person? Yeah. Because nine times out of ten the law of reciprocity will come back mm. tenfold. And you know, it's not a case of giving to receive, yeah. but actually if you put good out there and you help people and you listen mm. and, and you're a nice person and you, you're pleasant to spend time yeah. with, actually nine times out of ten, it will come back to you yeah. in a really positive yeah. way, won't it? I think it, it goes you know? back to that win-win. There's no reason why yeah. two competing companies, it's nice to be involved with companies who have a, a tangent of your business model or if somebody's got a company who are, uh, let's say a removal company um, or, or th they sell double glazing but th there's a synergy between you and you can learn lots of things from, mm. from um, other people and um, uh, it's just nice to have better friends in longer terms at the same time so mm. Um, mm. Um, yeah. And those communication skills that you obviously you said you enjoy it, right? You like you're a people person. You like being out there. You like chatting. You, you naturally do that very well. And mm. um, some people, other people, might be a bit more introverted, and maybe yeah. it's not their bag. But do you think your early experiences when you went off to Leeds for the football, and I guess very even earlier over in Australia, mm. different culture, even though that would be very early memories for you. Do you think because you went out quite young to the world? Um, what, 15 or however mm. old you were then, do you think that helps you in later life have those communication skills and survival skills? Yeah, no question from my point of view. I think it's very hard to train somebody to be comfortable in other people's... Uh, there are ways of doing it, don't get me wrong. Mm. Um, um, 
you know, Stephen Covey and all these people have got the seven effective habits of selling. There's lots of things that I've taken up on from Joanne, my partner, who works for a big pharmaceutical company, and she's had some amazing training, but we both agree that you need to have it in you. So, yes, going away, new countries, new experiences, moving up to getting on a train at 15 with your bag to leave home and so on. Um, I was quite comfortable with that within reason because it's been what my parents had done. Mm. Um, at the same time, I'm sure my business partner, Tim, wouldn't mind me saying that, um, yeah, he, he, he might not quite enjoy as much of me saying to him, look, I want you to go up to Leeds, go meet these other agents and yeah. get some ideas and so on. Um, that's not quite his bag, but at the same time, he's got things that I, that I don't do. So yeah, um, yeah. it is a blend, but I, I, it, it is so important to um, be able to conduct yourself and without just blatantly saying, give me some advice. Yeah. Because sometimes you need to know if the, the advice is right advice as well and uh, um, see it from, from your own business point of view. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's that. I mean, you know, for anyone that's listening, that's thinking around starting a business, doesn't matter what business it is, or, or kind of putting themselves out to the world, listening to this will give them great comfort, because actually, you just have to be a nice person, communicate with respect, and, and just sort of, you know, not necessarily have a hidden agenda, just actually do it for the joy of it. No. And then actually, it does come back to you. I think, as um, you mentioned earlier on, uh, for me, and I'd like to think the company, the, the most important thing is the buzz of doing something for somebody and, and the happiness that they get out of it in the sense of selling their house. Yeah. Yes, it's another sale that we can add to our list. Yes, we get a, a fee out of it and so on. Um, but we're doing something to help people. And uh, mm. so it, we are a people's person. I think that estate agents, when they, we were looking for people to join us back in the late 70s, early 80s, 90s, um, probably is a different animal than today. Today's animal, today's agent, if you can call it animal, <laughs> the type of person it needs to be very good communication, understand. They need to listen as much as they talk. Mm. Um, because sometimes people will say, so show me how good you are. And then they just will talk for five minutes. But people are, are, are visual. They want to see things. Mm. Um, you've got to listen to what people want at the end of the day. Um, and I think that, as I said, agents today are, are probably a different breed. Um, they're a bit more tech-minded. Mm. Um, they really want to understand what they can give you, not you say, can I have a bottle of wine? And they put a bottle of milk on the table. Yeah. It's a bottle, but it's not what you want. Yeah. Um, so I think it is important to, to understand customer needs, um, but deliver at the same time. You can't just tell people how good you are and say, oh, leave it to me, leave it to me. Um, they, they, they've got to buy in and they've got to believe that, that you're going to do help them as best you can. Yeah, and I think you're, you're right, because very often when in any business, sometimes I think it's very easy to lose touch with the customer, especially as you grow. You know, it's when, it's, when the business is small, it's much easier, I think, to do that. But when you start to scale up, and you have all of the, you know, the challenges that comes with that. Yeah. Sometimes you can get a little bit removed from the customer, yeah. uh, which is dangerous, I always think. Yeah. Um, but if you can always put yourself in the mindset of how you're trying to serve them, what problem are you solving for that yeah. person, then you're going to do a much better job. Yeah. Um, and they're going to buy into your ethos, your values, which is one of the things we talked about earlier at the yeah. beginning. You know, I, I think that certainly we try to get the right blend of it's not all about me. Um, um, probably most people now know the lady on the phone or the person that does the viewing. Mm. They know those people of Dawson's. They, they won't know who Chris Hope is, maybe. Um, but it's more important that they know the staff mm. and they talk about them in the pub, in the restaurants, um, how great the, the person is working for them, what a great job they do. Mm. Um, not a case of, I know the business owner. Um, that helps in certain aspects, but um, it's a staff that's the most important for, from my point of view. Um, and I think probably, I only wish 20 years ago, um, we knew about branding and so on. It sounds a bit corporate, but it does help the corporate world. It does help my staff to, I say to them, you know, have your own Facebook page and have your own bits and pieces. Get people to know who you are because mm. the nicer person you are, the more they trust you and you happen to work with the Orsons. Mm. Um, you know, they're... There are lots of agents and there are some very good staff working for other companies. And that, in my opinion, is where they get their market from. Mm. Maybe not necessarily the brand headline, but they are taken so much with the person that's walked through the door. That's where they, they trusted them. So um, Yeah, and, and it's a really interesting point because I think really when people talk about brands, there's two brands really. There's personal brand. Yeah. 
and then there's the brand of the of the business and, and it's all really it's just about identity yeah isn't it and who you are and your values and, and that you show up in the same way yeah. um, authentically you know everyone talks about True. authentic but leadership you've, you've got to match each other in the sense of yeah. I think your, your personal brand and the company brand needs to be on fairly much on a par in the sense I don't mean size because clearly the company brand will always have more followers and so on than the mm. personal brand but it must be a seem to be at the same sort of level. It's no good working for a um, um, a very big company. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the right expression as to how I put this. But I just think that the, you, you do have to balance up that, that you are the person's... If you, you can be a very good company, if you've got a poor staff, mm. you're not going to get... You, that, you won't retain that business long because the, the customer's not happy with the person that's dealing with them. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, if you're a very good person, not working in... A company who can offer as much, they may say, I think you're a great person, but I need to use another company because they can offer more services mm. and, and they can help me to the next level. Yeah, so yeah. There, there is a very fine, amazing, yeah. fine uh, blend. No, I think you're right. And attracting talent then, Chris, because that's been important in how you've grown and, mm. and getting the right team. How, how do you go about attracting talent and then keeping them? Um, so that, because <laughs> it's not always I'm easy. I'm not too sure if I want to say that. <laughs> um, I don't have many people understanding. So I tell you one thing that we did do, and again, this is one of the corporate things and we don't do it anymore, but we used to have keep business cards on, on, on myself and you may be in a uh, in a coffee shop. You may be in a in a, a shoe shop. You may be anywhere at all. Mm. Um, the person giving you a newspaper over the counter, um, and we had a little card every now and again. Which because every now and again you've got that person thinking they were great, mm. great customer service, smiling, helpful, spoke well, um, knew you, recognised you. Your seat's free. Did you want to sit in the same seat before? Yeah. And then we'd have a little card saying you've impressed me today. Do you fancy a job in a sitting seat? So. Um, that's one of the good things that the corporate world came out from my point of view. Mm. Um, but yes, attracting them, I'd like to think that we have a company name which is um, to a degree market leader. Um, we have the right blend and, and a balance of, of staff in the sense of ages. We've got them from 17 generally through to 70. So mm. it's not as if we're only at a certain level. Um, so um, uh, I'd like to think that when they get to us, um, Retention is because they enjoy working for the company, and yeah. um, we'd like to, as I said, do lots, lots of companies do in that sense of recognition of who's worked well and who gets mm. on, and try to give them a career ladder. Some people don't want a career ladder, sure. so as long as we find out once a year how you get on, whether they are eighteen or eighty. Some people want to get up on, on the ladder, some people don't. Some mm. people say, "Look, I'm happy with my two days a week. I can't do any more. Don't want to do any more." But you know, they're great people, and they're the ones that you still need to. Um, look after and, and uh, appreciate and get to know whether they would rather have a pat on the back. Because to some people, that's worth far more than a £100 bonus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it isn't always the money no. at the same time. There are people who are money motivated. And it's then important that you put that carrot on the table because that really is what's going to get them across the line. Mm -hmm. So similar principles then to what you were talking about with customers in terms of understanding what they need. Yeah. It's same, same principles really with, with, with team, yeah, right? It, it is, yes. The, and you... you, you there's a fine line between how you, you, you treat your staff because you need to ensure that they, they know what's expected. Mm. Um, and if it's wrong, it's wrong, they need to be told. But if it's right, it's right, and they need to be told. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, in recruiting probably is the, probably the biggest, for me, the hardest job of, of it all the time. And um, there are times where you lose somebody you don't want to lose, but you have to wish them well wherever they're going. Mm. Um, um, they'll be moving up different industry entirely or move into another company where they feel they've got more to uh, more opportunities so um, mm. uh, yes you have to recognize good talent yeah so someone looking at your business today they'll probably go god bloody, you know Dawson's massive down here doing really well look at Chris Hope he's mm -hmm. in his team everything's all like rosy in the garden <laughs> now you and I know <laughs> that life isn't always like that and it is yeah. tough in business especially when you're growing yeah. so can we talk about some of the some of, there's lots of highs and we'll, we'll touch on them but can we also talk about some of the difficulties yeah. and the lows yeah. because I think it's important for people in business to realize um, that it you know it isn't it does there are highs and lows yeah. and how we bounce back from failure and be resilient yeah. you know is, is so important yeah. isn't it you can't measure it unless you've had them yeah and you, in fairness you just reminded me now of when I was probably employed by my original companies and even my, my maybe my very first year or two as being a partner where 
I didn't realize how much the partners protected the staff by not telling them when the market was difficult. Mm. And you may have to um, go to the bank and borrow some money. Um, it's always nice to trade on cash, but that's, that's, you'd be very fortunate if you're a completely cash driven business in the sense mm. of you can trade without using the bank. Um, and it wasn't probably until you know, we went been through a number of difficult times, um, early 80s, early 90s, 2007, 2008. And it wasn't probably until the 2007, 2008, within reason, that um, I realized how much the previous partners had protected, mm. didn't want to get... Yes, it was a tough time, but you know, we're here, we're still here. We may have to make a little adjustment every now and again. Um, but I didn't realize until I had the partners' meetings properly uh, for 2006, seven, sorry, 2008-9, where I realized the conversations are, look, we have to make cuts, we have to make things done, but yeah. we can't... We don't want to panic the staff because it's not they're making... And we haven't got a business without them. So there's a very fine protection and, and um, um, looking after the business to look after the staff. You, mm. you have to do the business first before you can look after the staff. Yeah. You can't give all the staff pay rises in a market that's going down. No. You want the business left to, um, to welcome them back to when the time comes back. Mm. So, um, uh, yeah, there are times where you have decisions that need to be made. They need to be made quickly clearly you have to make sure you look at it from outside mm. don't always look at it from inside the business try to step outside if you can hard to explain really how, how that's always done um but you need to make decisions and you need to do it properly not waiting until you're told to do it yeah um, um so that's the, that's probably the biggest lesson um as i said in, in the 90s but really in 2006 2000 sorry 2007 2008 um, when the market started to wind down in 2008-2009 was a nightmare time. Mm. Um, and we had to try to do all we can. There's nothing worse than sending emails to the staff saying, it's dreadful out here and you don't know how lucky you are. You couldn't have, you know, that's not the right way to run business. So mm. you've got to run a business in the good times, but to protect the staff and, and make harsh decisions as to in, in, in the bad times. Mm. Um, yes, it's out of your control. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to always woe is me. You, you, you can't think that we do a favor somewhere and somewhere along the line, a Willy Wonka golden ticket's going to arrive in your lap. It, you know, not many times it happen yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and I feel sorry for lots of companies who have a tough time and find it very difficult to keep trade going um, to a level where they can survive and then they can build again. Mm. Um, you've, got to, you've got to aspire to try to do that. And that's as much of a success as making your first thousand pounds, hundred thousand pounds, a million pounds, mm. whatever the case is as, as far as uh, profit's concerned. Um, but profit's what it's all about. You know, you can't, can't survive without profit. Yeah, yeah. And so 2008 was tough in the property world. It was really, really difficult, wasn't it, anyone in that? And then, of course, it's tough now. Yeah. You know, the last 12 months has been really quite tricky, I think, yeah. for a lot of businesses. And property's no different to that. How do the two compare for you, do, would you say? Um, in one sense, I think that the... Uh, March 2020 was probably a bigger difficulty because the world came to almost a standstill. And that's the world, not just the property market. Yeah. Everything came to a standstill. You know, our business our business doors were told to be closed from end of March. Um, and I think the only one thing that we, as I said, can go back to 2008 that we sort of got ourselves together saying, okay, this is a major problem here. Mm. It's no good running around with like headless ticket chickens. You've got to make clear decisions. Where are we? How long is it going to last? How can we survive? What do we need to do? Uh, you can't get rid of all staff because you don't have a business to run. Uh, you must interpret the serious problems from problems, and they're both problems, but you've got to deal with this part first. Mm. Um, so again, because of the network, I was able, then, able to have team or Zoom meetings with colleagues of mine across the country. Guys, how are you getting on? We've we thought about this. No, Chris, don't do that. Try this instead. Mm. Um, so the network was a huge, huge saviour from my point of view. Um, not all the answers. I'd like to think that some of what we were going to do were, were, were taken up with other companies. But um, there was um, uh, not consolidation. I think there was a, a huge assistance in, in like-minded people running their own businesses. Um, it doesn't have to be property, but it makes sense to be property sure. from my point of view. So I think that we were able to make decisions quickly and adapt and change, which at times maybe corporate companies can't do as well because they have to have a board meeting before anything happens. Yeah. And um, uh, we were able to have meetings and make decisions that day um, of closing branches, who comes in, spread the desks, 
two meters, hand gels, signs, you name it. There, there was instant matters dealt with. Mm. Um, and I'm very lucky that as a part, a part of the business, um, I'm surrounded by very good people and we've got very good management staff who aren't partners, but they understand exactly sort of how the business is run. Mm. Um, so it is important to listen to many people and then somebody's going to make a decision, clearly. You can't be sitting there with five options on the table. Somebody's going to make a decision at some stage. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we've been very fortunate to get through the last 12, 18 months or 12, 15 months as it is, um, of the position that we're currently in, um, we can see the end of the tunnel from our point of mm. view. Um, but it's all about making decisions and, and making sensible, rational business decisions, not just let's hold our breath and see if it goes away. Um, yeah. yeah. To me, like that. Yeah, and it's a sign of a good leader. You're right that, you know, listen, take counsel, calmly assess the situation, but ultimately make a call. Because yeah. you have to make a call, don't you? Well, mm. we might always get it right, but, but make a decision and move no, forward, you know. So your thoughts for the property market going forward then, Chris? Any sort of predictions? What, what, are you, what trends are you seeing coming through? And, and how might that play out for the rest of the year, do you think? Um, it may seem a little irrational to say that there's been a lot of potentially good coming out of us having to look at our business for the last 18 months and manage it in a different way. Yeah. I think the industry will will and has changed in view of what we've done in the sense of there's far more people see properties, whether they're overseas or live next door, they see things virtually and, and make decisions far, far quickly. Um, far more quickly, I should say. Um, so I think the industry at the moment, the difficulty is that there's very little stock um, we're still probably transacting the same numbers, but whereas we had a stock of, I'm going to say 100, mm. we've now got a stock of, I'm going to say five. And so we still may sell 100 every week. Um, the stock levels aren't building up so people can have a choice. Mm. Um, so at the moment, um, whereas I think that the industry thought 12 months ago, there was going to be a collapse at some stage. Mm. That's proved not the case because it's, the world runs on supply and demand. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we've got. We've still got a very good demand for, for, for people to still buy their home. I think being, let's say, British, we're, we're a, a nation of corner shop owners or homeowners, unlike the Europeans so much where they rent. Um, and that's still part, a staple of your pension fund and, and everything else as to you buy more, more than one property. Mm. So, um, it, yeah, I, I'm struggling at the moment to look past more than five or six months to see what's going to go wrong in the property market to bring even more stock on. Because if the market continues to go well, we're going to have this difficulty, this void of creating more stock. Mm. Um, so it's not as if we are, we used to sell 100 or we used to get instructed on 100 properties, let's say, a week. We still are getting, let's say, 90. But um, they, that's not seen because they go in so quickly that people yeah. don't see the numbers. So yeah. um, um, I am concerned that property prices just can't keep on going up three, four, five, six percent a year because you need a correction period at some stage. Mm. And that'll be the next sort of big question mark that agents will have to sit down because when that happens, and it will, yeah. um, um, and that's where the analysts need to come in. And I think that I've probably listened to people like uh, Roger Martin Fag and people like that who are good analysts, been in the business a while, saying, guys, keep an eye on 12 months' time, 18 months' time. Mm. Um, nobody thought of Wuhan, people probably never even heard of Wuhan yeah. originally some 18 months ago. Yeah. We all know it now. Um, so it's very hard to know what's going to be, be the next sort of um, uh, acid test. But uh, at the moment, I think we need to manage our, our business, um, which is slightly different. And I think that there's a bit more tech involved and so on. Mm. Um, but people still buy from people. And I, don't, I think that whereas the market was going is everything online? Mm. No, I think people still like this interaction and they, mm. they like to see the color of somebody's eyes of, um, are you seriously going to promise me that you can, you can help me? Um, uh, they don't always want to do it themselves. So I think that we have to just look after our market and um, react quickly. And I think our industry is better at doing that now than we were 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And actually, some of the things that you put into your business in terms of innovating and having to, you know, you've got to protect your cash position, do things more efficiently, put new hygiene processes in mm. place and having to do all that quite quickly. 
What aspects of that do you think will continue in terms of, you know, when we come out of all of this, those innovations that, you know, you will actually retain in the business because it's just a better way to do things now? Yeah. I think one of the things actually is just detail and detail being that if you wanted to buy a house before, after you agreed to buy it, we would then find out about can you buy it? Mm. Um, and this process was happened you know, a long time ago in that sense, whereas um, partly from government directives, unless we, you could prove to us that you were in a, had the ability to buy a house, you weren't allowed to go and see houses. Mm. So you had to prove that you had a, a mortgage in principle or you had your house in the market or you didn't need to sell mm. to buy. Um, I think that's going to continue more because I think from an agent's point of view, it's not necessarily always about selling more houses, selling more houses. Um, it can be about stopping sales falling through because that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't mm. help the seller, it doesn't help the agent. Or maybe solicitors earn twice, but I'm not going to say that out too loud. <laughs> um, but I think that if we can be more efficient with what we sell, better for the clients, better for us. So I think that the details now, that before you can even go and see a property in mm. a polite way, we find out who you are, are you in a position to proceed, Come, you say your cash with respect, we'd like to get this evidence now, yeah. rather than you go and see the property, our clients tidy up, we agree a sale over the next three or four days, mm. and eventually when it comes down to, you, to the proof of the matter, oh, you actually didn't have quite as much, and you need a mortgage, mm. not as well as cash. Um, we probably would have accepted that in the past. We now say, no, we want to know. If you're 50-50, that's great, you're 50-50, mm. mortgage and cash. Um, so there's less things that will go wrong, in my opinion, with yeah. agents that have understood what's happening. Um, so getting details and data agreed before you even see it, uh, in my opinion, and using virtual tours and, uh, you know, we've now, we'll, we'll go to a property and people will say if they're from away, can you just do the viewing outside that window, show me what, you know, what, mm. what my back window look out on? So there'll be lots of assistance to buyers um, um, before they agree a sale. I'm not too sure we're going to go to, let's say, a Scottish way of buying, but I think that we will find out a lot more about the buyer before they agree to buy. Mm. And that will save an awful lot of time, a lot of expense, and a lot of heartache for both buyer and seller, for that matter, to make sure that the percentage of sales that nationally sales fall through at, let's say, 25%, maybe more than that at times, mm. maybe not quite this market, but certainly 18 months ago, national average was 25 30%. I think we're down to a 13 14%. Because we find out about people and try to overcome, has the house had an extension? Okay, before you put it on the market, can we get your planning information and so mm. on? So we are market ready before somebody asks us, you built an extension, uh, you haven't got planning. Mm. And bang, that goes three months with the marketing. Um, and you've spent money on a survey and your solicitor's fees and so on. And then within reason, you can't buy the house because it hasn't got planning. Yeah. So that, that's, that's probably how I think the, the main advantage to the market will be is um, a reduction in sales going wrong, which will help boost more sales in the first place, truthfully. Yeah, and I love that because actually during this you know, difficult time, the fact you've had to innovate and put these you know, more efficient processes in, etc., and the fact that they'll be there to stay is, is fantastic because it just shows that, you know, it's a bit like homework and flexible work in a lot of businesses yeah. that thought that could never be done. Now it's like the norm, it, you yeah. know, and it's really shifted the dial and that will be be around probably in, infinitum now wow. as a way of working, you know, Couldn't for lots of businesses. So I think that innovation at times of distress can actually be a really positive thing and, mm. and actually put your business in much better shape than had you not had the difficult times mm. in the first place, not true. <laughs> ironically. Yeah. I'm not a political animal per se, but I think that's the one thing that the government did bring, which I did question first of all about, you can't go and see a house unless you are market ready. And we thought, oh my God, there's extra work. But really, we were just bringing it, it we, we were... It was horse and cart rather than cart and horse. We yeah. would agree a sale and didn't have the data. We've now got the horse first and yet you know, we, we will put the cart after properly. So um, it's certainly been an advantage and it certainly will reduce the time it takes. And the longer a house takes to agree a sale to get to an exchange of contracts, mm. the shorter we can make that process, the less likelihood of the things are going wrong. So mm. it will help lots of people. Yeah. Um, whether you're a remover company, a mortgage company, just about everybody, you know, mm. it, it, it will help the whole market, in yeah. my opinion. And you work with investors as well, don't you? So obviously, we, we've been talking a lot about residential properties, mm. and, and that's I think. But you also work with investors and with commercial, don't you? Yes. So any, if 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 an investor approaches you, <laughs> this is this is for all the investors listening. What are the things that you 
like to see from an investor or the approach that works best for you? Because you might get, I don't know, 30, 40 investors mm. that come and say, oh, you know, I've got all this cash and I want to invest down in Swansea. And, yeah. you know, how do you know whether it's a good relationship to pursue? Mm. And what are the things that an investor needs to do to really build that relationship with you and to actually do business at the end of the day? I suppose that initially starts off from have they got a track record? Mm. Um, I'm again, fortunate because of the, of the network, as, as most agents should be, that if you've got a new investor who is from, I'm going to say Lincoln, mm. um, um, and they come into Swansea, it'll be, all right, let's get to understand why Swansea. If it's a case of, well, money works anywhere in the country, and which is a true statement, yeah. um, um, and if they're saying, well, yeah, I, I, I would like to sort of just have more opportunities because I'm uh, maxed out where I am and I don't get as many opportunities mm. uh, per se, um, so we'd like to know that they've got a history. We understand that, that yes, when they say they're going to buy, they can buy. We do need to check again to make sure that they are sure. cash. Um, um, because our sellers don't want to be time-wasting and so on. Where people talk about, yeah, I've got a million pound cash or five million mm. pound cash to buy mm. a very good portfolio. Mm. Um, their aim is no different than the seller at the end of the day. They, they want to get a good return. And as long as the seller understands the sale of the property has to be to the benefit as well yeah. of the person coming in, um, um, then you've got to marry, marry those two up. But um, there is a market, regardless of, of, of where you are in the country. Mm. Um, I think having the right agent who's looking for the right property, um, you can be sold all the wrong things. You can waste your time as an investor if yeah. I send you on a bit of a wild goose chase for something which isn't actually going to come about. Yeah. I think... I'm telling you that they may be planning. I need to be certain you will get planning to convert that big house into three flats. Mm. Um, and your agent should be knowledgeable enough to understand the planning process and the opportunities and the uh, examples of that that has happened mm. to know it's going to happen. Otherwise, I'm wasting your time. Yeah. yeah. I'm fairly certain the most experienced agents can see through at times the clients that just talk about money yeah. as opposed to those that, that are, have... Um, the words of how they speak, you understand entirely that, yes, they understand what they're doing, um, yeah. in which case I want to work with you. So it all really comes down to, give me one second, it really comes down to um, just continuing to, oh, that's gone off. sorry, just continuing really along the theme of communication and making sure that you understand what their needs are, you build the relationship, you're in it for the long term, and yeah. you can really create that win-win. Yes. I mean, that's just a common theme, I think, throughout as we've been talking, yeah, which is yeah. very much about you as a person, yeah. right? It's um, Chris Hope. But you're right, understanding, because some people are in it for the one-off gain, the, mm. the, the short-term money. And as long as you understand that, then you, you, you can yeah. deal with them well. Yeah. Um, it's just making sure that you both speak in the same language yeah. um, and agreeing that you're both saying what it is going to be mm. um, um, rather than just presuming you understand what the client, sure, the client sure. wants. So when you look back over your illustrious career, <laughs> despite the, um, the, the early disappointments of football and accountancy, I love that early story where you were saying about you thought you were going for an accountant's I know, job and I know. you actually was it a surveyor's job. absolutely true. I love it, I love it. Well, look how you pivoted. Yeah. My mother will tell you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so when you look back over, you know, the many years you've been in business, can you think of the best piece of advice you've ever been given or a really good piece of advice that kind of stuck with you? I'm struggling to do, to think of anything further than what was mentioned earlier on, um, which, which is win-win. And I think mm. that it's so important, even in business, when you're fighting against other companies and you want to be the best you can be, there's no reason why you can't work with people. And that may seem strange for somebody that wants to build a business and, and you want to make every penny you can. Mm. But I think there's a fight, there is a different way of doing that. Um, I've seen too many people, um, just try to grow so quickly and, and it, 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 the bubble bursts. Um, yeah. so for, yeah, for me, uh, even though it may not seem to be the, the obvious business model of give some of your money to somebody else, I don't actually, I'm not professing that, but I'm mm. saying that, leave a bit of money on the table for the next one because it saves you fighting people yeah. for something that you can work with. Yeah. Um, and, and um, um, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's really where I feel is, is um, 
a, biz, a big business advantage is mm. working with people and, and win-win. Yeah, no, I love that, actually, and it's spot on. I agree. And can you think of any bad advice that you've been given that you might have taken and, taken and regretted or, or ignored because it was so bad? Um, yes, become an accountant. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I think that ended up being um, something which I'm glad I didn't follow, truthfully. Um, <laughs> for the property, it, it was um, a great couple of years. I met some amazing people um, but it clearly wasn't to be for me, yeah. um, even though I, I thoroughly enjoyed every minute. My dad did, certainly coming up to see me um, up at Leeds. It was a long old journey in those days. But um, now I wouldn't turn the clock back. I wouldn't change what's happened. Uh, I wouldn't want to jeopardize the people I've met and the business that I've mm. got and my contacts now, um, and in particular my current partners. So, um, uh, I'd, yeah, we're enjoying life as it says yeah and, and and you know no regrets right because things sometimes things all those twists and turns along the way is, is what lands you where you are today yeah, doesn't yeah. it like, you know. i suppose that you've got you have regrets inside but but ultimately you've got to learn i suppose it's, it's a well-known expression um you never make mistakes you learn and that, that's the important thing certainly on football field mm. that's what they always said um if somebody's got the better of you learn about it and and find a way of, of doing it differently so um yeah Another great piece of advice there, mm. you see. I love it. Yeah. So just a final question, Chris. What does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you? Having the opportunity to do this today, probably, and I think without your company and the opportunities to sort of speak out loud, there's a number of things. When I was thinking about sitting down today and talking about everything that I've done, I wish I could write to my younger self. I think I would love, which is what I'm going to do when I leave here, I'm going to speak to my other partners and my senior management to say, talk to your younger self 20 years ago, because I wish now that I'd met you 20 years ago and um, made me instilled to think about how I got my business, where it was at the time, where would I like it to go. Mm. I think there are times where you do need to every now and again take a step back and have a good look around you thinking, oh, this is where we are. You can't always be in the moment every time. Mm. Um, um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I am grateful for, for, for this sort of opportunity truth because it certainly made me think a lot more of my current partners, what we do, how we do it, and what we're going to do next because without sitting here thinking of that, I probably hadn't done that for a couple of years in mm. view of everything else that's gone on. So um, thank you. No, you're very welcome. And it's such a joy to hear what, you know, your journey and everything you've achieved in business. Yeah. And no, I, I think you've, you should feel incredibly proud of what you've, what you've done. And uh, you are brave, bold and brilliant, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Lovely to have you on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeanette. Excellent. Good. <laughs>